What's going on, everyone? Turn your volume all the way up because an episode of the best of the best Maverick's Guide to Success is about to start. And as always, I am your host, Maverick Levy. I have a great guest for today's show. I'm pumped for you all to hear it. As you know, before we hop into the interviews, or should I say the interview of the week, I always like to go over some general things that I typically go over. Remember that after each episode goes live, you can visit the website, tbotbpod.com. And on there, you can contact the guests, put a face to the name, see a little bit more about them, visit their website. And you can also check out the social media pages for the podcast, which is at tbotbpod. We're on about every social media platform that there is. Sometimes you may have to type out the full name of the show, like on LinkedIn, it's the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success, not TBOTB Pod, but there's always a way to find us. So make sure that you utilize it. Sometimes there's giveaways, there's some more info on there. Now, let me give you all the disclaimer that I'm sure you love to hear every week, and that is, the discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only. I cannot predict and do not guarantee that you will attain a particular result from the information provided. You should always seek professional assistance before making decisions in connection with the topics discussed. Really quick, before we go into the interview, I want to say thank you to everyone who listens, subscribes, spreads the word about the show, posts the show on their story, tags, sends a DM saying how much it's helped you. None of this would be possible without you all supporting the show. So make sure you're subscribed so you get notified when a new episode comes out. And now that we have all that good stuff out of the way from the intro, let's get into this week's interview. On today's episode of the Best of the Best podcast, we have a special guest who is also a close friend. He is someone that I've done business with, so I can personally vouch for him. But without any more introducing, I would like to welcome David Walkler, who is a fourth generation jeweler based out of Birmingham, Michigan. What's going on, David? It's such an honor to be here. First of all, thank you for the amazing introduction. Second of all, I'm very happy for you. I'm a proud friend. It's awesome to see what you've done with this when you brought this idea up a long time ago. I think you mentioned it in the store. I did have you know, high hopes and aspirations for you doing it because I know how you do everything. And it's always on a level of excellence that we can all learn from and be impressed by and, and all those things. But what you've really uh, ended up doing as far as the execution has been uh, really exciting and enjoyable for me as a listener. And I'm just honored to be another person on the podcast because, <laughs> and hopefully we can bring some benefit to people listening. Absolutely. Which I think is the goal. I mean, that's why you did this in the first place and that's very commendable. So congratulations on this awesome show. I appreciate that. And the feeling is mutual. I feel proud to call you a friend. Everyone that I know loves you. No one that can ever say a bad thing about you because you are a great person. Thank you, brother. Same to you. Thank you. But before we go into the interview, I want to just say that David, he really is a good person. You know, some of the guests, they come to me or I find them through a source. But David is someone, like I said, I've known him and he has a heart of gold. No pun intended. Thank you, Mav. So do you. Thank you, Ro. I appreciate it. We He stays true to his word, and he's known as one of the best of the best in the state of Michigan, but he has clients all over the world, and he's an overall, he's a great guy, a great jeweler, a great friend. <laughs> I should come here more often. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he is. He's the best of the best. So let's get into some background questions so listeners that maybe don't know you as well as I do can get to know you a little bit better. Where did you grow up? Okay, so I was born in Sinai Hospital in Detroit, Michigan, and I was raised, you know, around the um, Oak Park area, around that area. It's a suburb of Detroit. I went to uh, school in Oak Park in Berkeley and, you know, got to grow up with people from all over the the city. Uh, we had, at the time, school of choice, and so I had kids from every side of Detroit to kids from the suburbs, and it was just a really fun, a lot of immigrant kids, a lot of friends and that I still have to this day from different parts of the world based on being in that awesome melting pot of the Oak Park School and the Berkeley School District. So that's where I grew up. I'm always proud of where I'm from because uh, I always, you know, for my kids especially, I want to make sure that they grow up with everybody from everywhere of every economic level 
because I think it made a big difference in my in my growth being somebody who is just mixed in with anybody and everybody because I think it, it brings you closer to your fellow man and, and makes you understand no matter where you're from and, and what you look like and what you got, you're just as valuable as your character is. So that's probably a bit of an elaboration on your question, but it's all important <laughs> stuff. So who was your idol when you were growing up? Wow, great question. Growing up, one of my idols was my grandfather, Jeff Walkler. He recently passed away within about a month. Uh, he was also somebody I got to apprentice under for many years. So my dad also was an idol to me as well. And I'm sure you can understand that because you have such a cool dad. I love your dad. Thank you. But uh, my grandfather was just the king of cool. He was just a really well-dressed, handsome guy. I say that as kind of a joke. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see the pictures of him as a kid and me are identical. Matter of fact, people think that they're doctored and it's just me with black and white cover on it. So uh, when I say he's a handsome guy, I kind of say it with a smirk, but he really is. I only have about a half as good looks as he does, but he was the kind of guy that never got really riled up, but was always very kind and uh, welcoming and balanced and disciplined. You know, Sure, I love to watch, you know, movies like Goodfellas and Casino and all these different business movies that people were gaining, you know, huge success. But at the end of the day, at, at the end of those movies, those people ended up in big trouble, right? Like those fast life, fast success, you know, have it all kind of movies. Whereas my grandfather was like a slow and steady wins the race type of guy. And uh, there was a lot of security and a lot of love from all the people in his family, you know, all the grandkids and all of his four kids. So to me, like having the big family that loves you and that you love and take care of and having, you know, good means to not have to worry about rent or, or food on the table and then being respected by a community because you never made a mistake because you were just a stand-up guy. That's who he was. I aspire to be You're following like right him. in those footsteps. You truly are. I'm doing are. my best to try my best, but I've had him guiding me. So that's been cool. So that was my idol was my grandfather, Jeff Walkler. That's amazing. And I actually had the honor to meet him a few times in your store. He would stay in the back. He would stay a little quiet, but I actually met him yeah, I he was always at one quiet. point. <laughs> yeah, he was always quiet in the back. But I know, obviously, when I introduced you, you're a fourth generation jeweler. But why did you choose to go into jewelry? You, you know, you saw your family's business. Maybe you fell in love with it. Or maybe at one point you thought, I'm going to try and do something else. But why did you go into jewelry? Why your family's business? You know, it's funny. You, you ask that question, you probably have no idea the answer that's coming because it has nothing to do with any of the obvious reasons. So long story short, my family business separated after about 95 years. And as I was turning 18, my dad, who had this you know family business that was going on forever, I mean, almost 100 years. I mean, at that point, the amount of security there was huge. But my dad actually started over. He decided to leave his partners and he got a little office and started following his passion, which was estate jewelry, buying and selling and trading, because that's what he liked. It was interesting to him. He loved antiques. He loved vintage things. He loves the story behind them. So he started doing that because I think the retail business and the big business with a lot of partners and a lot of stuff going on just wasn't making him happy. Matter of fact, I knew he wasn't happy. And he taught me, like, even though something could be lucrative or something could be good financially, you know, your health will always suffer if you're not happy. So he decided to kind of get more specialized away from the direction of his partners and focus on that. And uh, he joined this small office. We were literally renting from another appraiser in this tiny little box, like smaller than my dining room, honestly, like really smaller than, you know, most people's bathrooms. And, uh, you know, when we made that transition, we had some financial issues and it was some tough times there financially. And instead of me going off to college and, you know, frolicking around with my friends, like, you know, everybody was just having the time of their lives, worried about school and nothing else. I saw some concerned parents of mine that were in a transition state in their 50s. And, you know, when you're changing your career and your income in your 50s, it's a little scary. Definitely. We had some other things going on that I can't get into, but that left us in a financial position that wasn't you know, the ideal position for somebody in their 50s and definitely not something where I would want to take out loans or ask for help at that time for school. So being someone who was always really supported and loved by their parents and I really appreciated them so much, I kind of felt like 
man, what a good opportunity to work alongside of them and kind of help out a little bit. But what I didn't realize, and mind you, my business isn't buying and selling as much as it is the custom jewelry and bridal specifically. But Yeah, and we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But what ended up happening was I said to my dad, I said, you know, dad, we don't have a budget for marketing, right? Uh, and he said, no, we don't. You know, we don't have the money. And I said, well, we're going to get blown out of the water. We're going to have so much trouble getting our business off the ground. And at the time, my grandfather hadn't yet joined us, but he shortly came over to us. He was waiting for a certain arrangement to come through, but it was just me, my mom, my dad. And uh, what happened was I said, wow, I'm afraid we don't have the money to market. And I think we don't even have a, a retail space. We're up in the second level of the Merrowood building in a little cubicle in someone else's office. I, this doesn't seem like it's going that great. But my dad had such a following. There were people coming up there that were meeting with him, rock stars and all types of other people. And I go, wow, you know, my dad has so much love. I should help him because he doesn't have any help. Now, what happened was I kept trying to get marketing budget money and there wasn't any. So I said to myself, what am I going to do? And I heard about this thing that had just come out. I don't know if you've ever heard of Instagram, but Instagram <laughs> had just come out. This is 2011. And my, my, um, my older cousin, may he rest in peace, my best friend, who's like my brother, he had an Instagram first and you know, he's like my second follower on there or something. But we started kind of posting on Instagram. And, I, and from there, by watching other people on Instagram before me, and if you want to know more about that, you can ask who it was. But I learned, wow, if you show things on Instagram that are cool and engaging, you'll gather attention. And then from that attention, you can gather potential business. And if you converse and, and have the right merchandise and you do right by people, you can close the deal, help people get what they want and be compensated, right? So I kind of randomly fell into a flow of like, I would post something at the office and people would ask and then there'd be an appointment and then there'd be a sale. And next thing you know, there's things that have been sitting around in the safe for a really long time that were selling that no one could sell. I generally got into the business to help my parents with a plan of doing something else later. But we kind of see, you know, you follow me, there hasn't been a shortage of people since. So we, we want to help them. Absolutely. Listen, I love the way that you fell into it because you're right. I wo I sort of knew the story a little bit beforehand because I think we briefly touched upon it when it was just you and I talking. But it's a story that shows how loving and caring you are as a family man. And that translates into your business world as well because you care about every single one of your clients. I know that because I've been one. I don't feel like a number to you or just another person that you're taking money from. I feel like you genuinely care about what you're creating for me or what you're selling me. And you never try and push the sale. You make sure that people are comfortable and that's what you vouch on your Instagram. But now all the listeners know how you got into the business, a little bit about your family, a little bit about who you are. So I always call it the nitty gritty. So let's get into that. The reason they're listening, jewelry. So I think a good place to start is diamonds. I think a lot of that pops into people's heads when you talk about jewelry. And David, I'll be honest with you. When I was doing my due diligence, I was like, what do I think about when I first think of jewelry? And what comes to mind, and I don't know why, is that movie Blood Diamond. It comes to mind. It's Ooh. a great movie. <laughs> it's a great film. But it's a sad story. It's a great movie, but it's a really sad exactly, story. Exactly. Exactly. A very sad story. Very and sad. Unfortunately, but there's many true stories that make that movie necessary. I even have a friend. His name is Adnan. He has an awesome art studio in Detroit, and he's from Sierra Leone. His father was a diamond miner back before the big conglomerate took over. And so it is a very unsettling, depressing, disgusting, you know, past that the diamond industry has that I'm not personally proud of at all. But what I am happy about is that where I source my diamonds from, you know, nowadays everything's so technologically advanced and things have changed so much. We get to find out, you know, exactly where each stone came from, what mine, where it went, what its journey was and ensure that there's no conflict diamonds. I think, you know, the figure is less than 15% of the world's diamonds today are conflict diamonds, and I think it might be even lower. That was about six years ago, but I think it's lower now. But it's definitely a, a horrible skeleton in the closet of my industry, and something that, you know, I think all of us in the industry have to be committed to acknowledging and making sure that we don't put a dollar in anybody's hand who is sick enough to harm other people for material things. 
you know, and that's why, you know, laboratory grown diamonds to me have a huge positive to them because they're, you know, made in a lab, you know, um, they obviously don't hold their value the same way. They're not investments like certain diamonds can be. Um, not all diamonds can be investments, but some can be. But lab grown is a great option. I've had many friends of mine and even uh, people in uh, high levels of sports and business purchase lab grown diamonds just because they don't even want to uh, touch the diamonds that come from you know the ground because of the past. But I'm committed to selling conflict-free diamonds and would be pretty mortified if I found that I wasn't. So that's why I work with sources that have this new tracking and the GIA just started this. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, it's a diamond origin tracker that is like the newest thing on the GIA, which is the Gemological Institute of America. If you're buying a diamond, I highly recommend you getting a GIA certified stone because that's the most reputable and you have issues with color and clarity, accuracy in the other laboratories. And so this GIA tracker is the way to say, like, not only do I buy from somebody who's, you know, ethical and doesn't mess around with any of those horrible things, but I can prove it. And that's kind of what's most important is, you know, I'm sure you and I both have a philosophy saying things are one thing, but the facts are are the only yeah. thing that, that really matter to us, man. So True. Truth. And you're absolutely right. I, that movie, I don't know. I, I honestly, I was thinking about it. I was like, why does this pop into my head? I think it's because of the process. You know, diamonds, obviously, if for all of you listeners that don't know, they're natural. It's a natural stone um, that comes from the earth. And that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to talk about. I want you for a little bit here briefly to just explain the process of what it takes to get a diamond. And, you know, not a conflict diamond, of course, but the ones that are the best of the best, you know, are, they're getting mined. What is that process for those that may not understand that? So this is my understanding of the diamond business. In the late 1800s, some point in the 1800s, a company called De Beers, and I obviously have to be very careful what I say because they're an extremely powerful group. So I, I will say what I can say with, with being comfortable without having a, any issues <laughs> uh, legally because I've learned recently, sometimes when you speak the truth for justice, uh, you can get into big trouble and a lot of lawyer fees. So I've learned that sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut. But anyways, De Beers pretty much became the diamond conglomerate. I was going to say another word that starts with an M, but I'll say conglomerate. And so they own most of the mines. And so what happens is they have this high-tech mining way of getting diamonds out of the ground with these major machines. And and they bring the, the earth up and they put them on these machines and they sort through what they find in the ground. And what happens is there's these people called site holders. So we're starting at the start of the chain, right? Let's break it down. So you have De Beers. De Beers controls the mines. And that's in Africa, Australia. You have you have mines in other parts of the world, but mostly in Africa and, and Australia and, and these different places. And so you take that and who gets to buy those rough diamonds? De Beers doesn't cut them, okay? So they have retail boutiques and they, they have some cutting going on, but they're not cutting all the diamonds. They're selling them rough from my understanding. Well, these people called site holders get to buy them next. So here you have De Beers owns the mine. Then it gets sold to a site holder. Now, what's a site holder? A site holder is a usually a family business or a group, like, you know, a big, you know, corporation type of group. But from where I buy from, I only buy from family businesses that have been blessed enough to have the capital, whether it's loans that, you know, there's certain banks in Israel that take loans off of diamond collateral and stuff like that. But a lot of it could be, you know, somebody could be even royalty or connected to royalty or have some sort of crazy family business and be able to afford these things. But they have to buy a certain amount of diamonds every year to be a site holder. And it's in the tens of millions and the hundreds of millions for these people. They take those diamonds, so that's the site holder, and they cut them. They cut them all over the world. They cut them in Antwerp. They cut them in Israel. They cut them in you know Belgium and Israel. They cut them in the Middle East. They cut them in, well, India. India is a huge hub for diamonds. So they cut them in these different hubs. So in these areas, it's almost like uh, you, know, you go into the garment district in New York. There's parts of the world that are just diamond cutters and and they literally, you know, family businesses. I have a diamond cutter that I employ to do my recutting, and it's a fourth or fifth generation business. So I buy a lot of antique diamonds uh, over the counter from clients that come in, and sometimes they're oblong shape. So I send them to the cutter. So anyways, the site holder gets the diamond. From so there, sorry to interrupt you real quick. So when the diamond comes from the mine and the site holder buys it, it's rough. It rock. looks like That's something the- in your backyard. 
Okay, got it. And then when it goes to get cut, that's when it becomes, you know, whatever shape In you're In stages, get. it goes from like a rough rock to a less rough rock. There's a machine that they use to scan it. They used to not have this, but now you can scan a piece of rough diamond and find out like, what could you do with it? And you could be like, oh, I can make 15 pear shapes and like one round, but it wouldn't be like that. It'd more be like a bunch of little rounds from this part from this you know, quadrant, and then a bunch of pear shapes or ovals or cushions or radiance from this area, and you basically can see the, the potential. And then from there, there's machines that can help cut it, but what I've experienced from, and I'm not a cutter, I don't have a family cutting business, but I have a friend, Tal, out in Element Diamonds in LA is a cutter, and Ephraim from Jack Reese Diamonds in New York is a cutter. My good friends, A, Rachmanov Diamonds in Israel and other places, they have a cutting operation. And from what I see is it's a lot of old guys with beards and a wheel and a very steady hand. So from what I've seen, it's there's a definitely laser technology and there's scanning and stuff. But when it comes down to those like really important facets and angles, I'm seeing guys with a tool and a wheel and literally like, you know, just running the stone across the wheel. So it is quite archaic and usually fifth, sixth generation by this day. So it's pretty cool. That's crazy. So it's quite a process then to get that. Now, next thing I want to talk about is the lab grown. And I believe, is it, how do you say cubic zirconias? Is that no, correct? No, so cubic zirconium is a diamond simulant. So a diamond simulant's anything that looks like a diamond. Laboratory grown diamonds are diamonds. They're carbon. Basically a lab grown diamond, you take a carbon seed and you put it into this machine. The machines cost about a quarter million dollars, depending on the machine, it could cost more. And you cook it. And it grows and it grows slowly and it turns into those rocks. You take a carbon seed, it grows into those rocks and you cut that. And that's a lab grown. So those are actually diamonds that are grown in a lab and uh, very controversial for my industry. And honestly, I'm afraid to even talk. I mean, I'm not afraid, but I feel bad talking about it sometimes because I have such a close relationship to the people who helped me make it, who don't sell lab growns, whose business is normal, you know, conventional, natural mine diamonds, but the reality is I have, I get a lot of inquiries in a day. You know, on average, I get 50 to 100 people a day messaging me on Instagram or Facebook or texts or whatever. And I want to say about a quarter of them do not have the budget or do not want to spend the money on a mine diamond. And they have other people who can sell them the lab grown. And they'd say, oh, I like your craftsmanship. I like how your diamonds are cut. And I kind of take the same particularness and say, listen, you know, there's a lot of badly cut lab growns. There's an issue with the grading. There's inconsistencies with the production. I don't recommend all lab grown diamonds. I think a lot of them are not good, but I can find the top of the top that are cut the best. And I do make rings with them uh, when my client asks me to, because I work for my client. I, at the end of the day, I don't work for the diamond industry. I work for my client. Hopefully I don't have any repercussions, but I have to, I have to respect my vendors, but I have to put my client you know, ultimately first, because I, of that's, course. That, that's that how makes I sense. think. Yeah. The, no, and that makes sense. So then the cubic zirconias, that's a fake diamond then, right? I do not have much experience with those. Those would be, you know, the Instagram ads that pop up, like come get your Cuban iced out, you know, and it's 30 bucks or hundred bucks or 200 bucks. And the labor is definitely child labor. I mean, I'm not going to say definitely, but I don't know how you can set, you know, 3,000 fake stones on a necklace for 150 bucks. There's got to be a kid over there doing that. And if not, I'm happy that the money goes to a good place. You know, if, if somebody needs that money to eat, I'm happy for it. But the labor costs on that seems a little bit low. Interesting. Because labor is big, by the way, in our industry. Labor is part of the expense. Is it hard to find people that specialize in, you know, like you said, they're usually nowadays like fifth or sixth generation doing the diamond setting or doing the cutting? Is that what you're seeing? You're not seeing a lot of people having a, a newfound interest in that. It's more of a family history in the back end of the labor. There's a lot of new laborers when it comes to setting and metalsmithing. Like I took a class at OCC on that. I mean, you can learn that sort of thing, but when you're talking about diamond cutting, you know you can chip a diamond. So, and if you chip it, you could shatter it. So let's say you have a $100,000 stone and you go to cut it, you could lose $100,000. So there's definitely not a lot of people who don't have generational experience in cutting, but I know kids who are 
21 years old, right down the street from where I live, you know, second generation Americans who are now one of the greatest diamond setters ever. You know, I know a lot of kids who came to this country, like their dad came to this country with nothing. They started in the jewelry business. Then the the kids or the nephews started learning the trade. And, you know, you could ask me about them and I'll tell you, these young kids from, you know, from this story are some of the best I know. Meanwhile, there's somebody who's fifth generation who's great. So labor is different when it comes to working on jewelry versus creating the diamond. Two different worlds, jewelry making and diamonds, two different worlds. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It always blows my mind. You know, like I love jewelry. I think that it's it's very interesting and I didn't know the depth of how deep it goes. So I'm glad we had the conversation. I want to shift again to talk about engagement rings. I know that's your specialty. It's what people call you the best of the best in. You do a lot of them. You make a lot of dreams come true. I obviously follow you on Instagram pretty closely. So I see a Thank 90%. you for the follow. Yeah, of course. And at the end of the episode, we'll shout out all your socials and your website and all that so people can get to know that. But what is the process if someone comes to you or DMs you? Let's say someone DMs you, hey, David, I'm looking for an engagement ring. What's the process from that point till the ring is actually, you know, whether you ship it to them or whether they come pick it up? What's that process in the timeline? Very simple. And thank you for asking. What an amazing opportunity to share this with people because I think my process is different than most people. In our new store, we don't do retail walk-ins and things like that because we want to curate an experience. We don't want it to be, you caught us with a busy day. We can't really wait on you. We can't make sure that what you're looking at is in your budget or whether it's above or below or whatever. We want to make sure that it's almost as if we are here existing for you in that moment, right? That's my goal. So here's the process. Let's say you guys DM me at dwalkler and you go, hey, David, I like this ring on your page. I'm interested in getting it. How much is it? So people say how much all day long. Like I get 100 people a day. How much, how much, how much? I'm one of them. Well, not in the rings, but you post other stuff. So I may respond and say, you know, this ring's 5,000 or 10,000 or 30,000, whatever it is. But what I normally respond with and what I train my people to help me respond with, but a lot of the times it is me in there. If it's not my cousin Noah or it's not one of my team members is you know, thank you for reaching out about this particular ring or yes, we can help you with this, but here's what we have to do first. You know, I like to get on what's called a virtual appointment. So in my bio, there's this thing you can click book now and you schedule a time. And what we do is you and I, you know, you're the customer. Let's say you're the customer. You and I talk and I say, hey, it's nice to speak to you. This is who I am. This is where I'm from. This is what we do. I am honored to work with you. Tell me a little bit about what your goal is. What I want to know is a few things. What's the favorite shape of the person you're proposing to? You know, whether it's your fiance, but your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. What's the shape that you want? Okay. Did you know this about that shape? So if someone says oval, I'll say, did you know they look the biggest, you know, for their size? They look huge for their size. What an advantage. Or if I, if they say it's an emerald cut or a cushion, I'll say, well, did you know that they can look smaller than they are? So we may want to find a more elongated one. So I'll start to educate them about the shape. Then I'll say, what's your budget? And they'll say, well, I, half the time they say, I have no idea. The other time they'll say it's 5, 10, 15, 20, 100, 200, whatever it is. I'll say, well, within your budget, there's a few ways to go. So we have to kind of talk about for each shape, what's your minimum color grade? What's your minimum clarity grade that I think you should go? And then what do you have in mind? And let me share my industry knowledge that I've inherited by my dad, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, and let me make you the expert. So the virtual appointment is step one. I want you to know a lot about diamonds because first of all, it's easier for me to do my job if I could learn, I'm sorry, if I could share with you what I know because then a really good educated consumer, not only is are they more comfortable with me, they feel they can trust me because I'm divulging all these things. I'm not saying just trust me, I'll take care of you. I'm saying you don't have to trust me. I'm going to educate you professionally, basically, about diamonds. And then now, where should we go specifically in the four C's? You know, there's carrot, weight, color, cut, clarity. So my process is education first. Then, once you give me your budget, your shape, or shapes you want to see, I'm going to curate a selection. And oftentimes, it's like, here's a smaller stone of better quality and a medium-sized stone of decent quality and a bigger stone of more commercial quality. And you get to choose what direction do you want to go. And so 
my process is more virtual first, in-store second, and then unlimited, unlimited in-store meetings. As long as you place a small deposit with me for the shipping costs, not even for my time, but for the shipping costs, I'll show you stones for the rest of my God-given life until you say, this stone right here, I need to take that home with me because this has to be my diamond ring. So I don't really sell anything. I mean, I posted a long time ago an ad, like I don't sell, I try to help you find what you want. And people were commenting like, you're full of shit. You're selling all day. You look like a salesman. You sound like a salesman. I go, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm asking questions and I'm showing you things so that you learn and understand to the point where you can say to me, David, I want this color, this clarity, this size. And it's not through just talking, it's through actually trying things on, seeing what is and what isn't. And you can ask my clients. I mean, you can go and DM every client. I take everybody outside. I've never sold a diamond without taking them outside because my lighting is shiny. And I say, you have to see the diamond in natural lighting. Otherwise, you won't know what it looks like. So I think it's a different process because I think a lot of people just want to make the sale. And for me, I've learned that the sale happens automatically all day long to the point where I'm not sure I eat much for lunch. But it's about the client choosing and me helping them with their journey. That is honestly, I mean, obviously, I've never been in the market in the future to buy an engagement ring, but I've bought jewelry from you. And the process is still easy and it's convenient and you don't feel like this is my podcast i own it fuck all those people that are saying oh you're a salesman you're this like that's bullshit because number one never once have i came into your store or i've dm'd you you know how much are these earrings how much is this bracelet and never once i was be like okay and never once have you like hit me back like so are you gonna buy this like are you gonna buy this never gonna ever buy this? ever never never i'm not on commission not by the you. way that helps Nobody makes commission in my store. And I think that's a big culture improvement for our store because, you know, there's bonuses for people who are doing amazing and things like that. But no one's ever looking at a client in the eye and telling them something because they know they're going to get a fat commission. That doesn't happen here. I know I don't because I own it. And I think that's important because the client is in control of the situation. And we're almost like, what do you want? And if you don't know, let us help you understand diamonds and jewelry to a point where you can develop an understanding of what it is. And then from there, you'll come up with what you want. And if you, and by the way, I don't know how many people are listening to this that actually have done business with me, but if you are, you should comment this. I can't even count how many times people have asked me for watches in the past year, because I do watches too, that I tell them, don't buy it right now. It's a bad time. Like, Talk about not being pushy. I'm telling people on a daily, they're like, hey, how much is this Rolex or this paddock or this AP? I'm like, well, I have a whole, like in like five minutes, we'll get into watches. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, there's so much to talk about because I love jewelry, but like watches. Watches is is a different level for Mav. I love them. I love them. We know big Mav. I'm wearing something (laughs) that's in the safe for Mav. (laughs) I think it's great. Your process is truly amazing from a customer, client, however you want to categorize me aspect because you're not pushing me to make a sale and you're educating. That's the point of this podcast is to educate. So real quick, will you go over, I think you said there's four C's like clarity, color, Carrot, will you go over what those mean and how they play a role? Yes, I will. And for anyone listening, if you go to my Instagram, there's a show called How to Buy a Diamond on my IGTV. You should check that out. So here's how it works. A diamond is valued by the four C's. First, we're going to talk about carrot. Carrot is the weight of this diamond. It's the size. So it doesn't mean the measurements, by the way, because you can have a stone that's smaller in carrot and then is bigger than a, a larger carrot stone because the dimensions, the length to width ratio is different. So that's not included here. But the carrot weight is just the weight. So pounds, kilos, carrots, all measures of weight. So that's how big a diamond is. Next, you have color. Color starts in the colorless section. D, E, F, D color, E color, F color. There's no color, but just a clear blue, white look to it. G, H, I, J is near colorless in range of color. So the two areas that I typically stay in are colorless and near colorless, and I typically stop around I, so it goes G-H-I-J. So a lot of the stones I sell are D-E-F, but then you have people who wanna keep their third C, which is clarity, 
in a greater place and they want to keep their first C, which is carat weight, in a bigger size, but they don't have the budget, right? So you have to sometimes sacrifice and go lower in color, which to me, and is color the way it, like when you put a light on a diamond and you see all the colors, is that what you mean by color? No, color is actually the shade. So DEF would be just like a white blue shade to the stone. Like there is no color, like absence of color, right? So the grading is kind of the absence of color. And then GHIJ, as you go down, like G is just a, the tiniest, slightest bit yellow, but like you can't even tell, but it's just a little bit. H is the same way in natural sunlight, even G, H, I, and J. Natural sunlight tells a lot about a diamond. Even near colorless diamonds will look white in natural sunlight, but sometimes in certain lighting and in some kind of maybe gloomy days, you can see that yellow. In the J and the I, you can see it a little more. The H and the G is hard to see and you don't see it. And then beyond that, uh, it keeps going. Clarity. This is an interesting one. So a lot of people don't understand diamond clarity. Matter of fact, when they're buying something from me, they'll often show me something online or from another jeweler and they'll say, well, David, why are you overcharging me that your diamond's $1,500 more? So I'll say, well, what do you mean? More than what? And they say, well, here's a stone here that's less money. So I go, show me the certificate and I show me a picture of the stone. So I'll have a stone uh, that has a certain clarity to it and they'll have another one that's the same clarity, same size, same color, same clarity. And what's interesting is clarity is like acne. Okay, so you're like, why are you bringing this up? I personally have had a lot of acne. Shout out to Wendy Sadoff Dermatology but and for dealing with me for all these years. But the pimple that appears on your ear is no big deal. We're still going out. We're still, you know, going out to dinner. With you, it maybe you're going out with... Uh, you know, Lambo and Goodman. With me, it's it's my people. Um, see, I know what Mav does for fun. This guy is uh, is around some really cool, hardworking, awesome people. But acne on your ear is not going to stop you from going out. But what if you had a really humongous cyst, like a cystic acne pimple on your tip of your nose? You may not go out, okay? You may feel honestly very uncomfortable. You might have your girlfriend, Olivia, put a little makeup on that thing, but it still might not work because of the location, right? So here's what happens. Clarity, even though it could be the same grade, could actually be either in the middle of the stone or on the edge. And it could be either a black dot, like a piece of pepper, or it could be some what we call twinning wisps. A diamond I sold today had some twinning wisps. So clarity is the amount of imperfections in the stone, the nature of imperfections, the location and imperfections can be black dots, look like a crack, they can be a cloud. There's a lot of different types, but what people don't understand is sometimes the better deal is a few hundred or a few thousand dollars more, and it's the same quality on paper, but the location and the nature of the inclusion could be different. So those are the things I try to bring to my clients which they're like, oh, I have no idea. I was like, yeah, because no one's taking the time because it's very time intensive to, <laughs> to tell you all this because you could maybe go somewhere else and I'll never see you again. But I, I invest in my client with the hope that they'll appreciate it and maybe come back. And then, uh, so I did color, cut. Oh, the last one, the last C is cut. How well the cutter that we talked about earlier creates the diamond to be the most sparkly, the most brilliant. So those are the four C's. If you guys are interested in diamonds and you don't want to buy something yet, but you want to learn, you can book me for an educational consultation on my Instagram in my bio, and I'm happy Shout to teach you. Shout out your Instagram. What's your Instagram? Give it to them. It's D-W-A-C-H-L-E-R, D-Walkler. So it's D-W-A-C-H-L-E-R. He's always posting great stuff too. Yeah, I try to. I don't have much rhyme or reason because I am busy, and my dad says to me, Stop posting. You you have enough business. You need to focus on business. But, you know, I like to protect people. And I feel that doing business with them is often protecting them because I don't, I know there's a lot of good jewelers out there. And I, I do recognize that that's a fact. But I would have to say a lot of brick and mortar stores, online stores, and jewelers in general are not as particular as I am. And I enjoy... They're not as transparent as you are. They're not, but sometimes they don't know any better. And sometimes, like I have a nickname by one of my diamond suppliers. They call me a fine schmecker. 
And what it means is you cannot send me a diamond that has a bad placement of an inclusion that doesn't have a good cut. Like my diamond suppliers, they love me because I, I move a lot of goods for them, but they also kind of detest my particularness. And I get into arguments sometimes with them and they try to tell me a stone is a great stone. I go, listen, it is a great stone for somebody else, but I have to get my customer. And they'll say, oh, the customer's going to love it. Don't mention it. I go, dude, there's an inclusion in this one position and the nature of it I don't like. Or there's a way that this diamond's reflecting that I don't like. And I take so many extra hours and extra shipping charges, whether it's from here to Israel, here to Hong Kong, here to Belgium, here to New York, which is a hub for a lot of these out-of-town diamond manufacturers. And I spend a lot of extra time on it. My parents actually think I'm, they love me and they support me, but they do think I'm a little nuts. But it's because I can't make you a ring that I wouldn't give to my person and it has to be just as nice. That's how I feel, and I, it may be driving me nuts, but I'm, I'm happily uh, going nuts because it's the only way I feel comfortable taking their money. Amazing. Well, as you all just heard, he is truly knowledgeable. He knows what the hell he's talking about. He just educated me on something that I've never really understood, and I've bought diamonds before, and I, I've never understood it. So I appreciate you breaking that down for me. I'm sure the listeners appreciate that as well when they go to buy something like that because it's a very unique experience. Obviously, when someone's going to buy an engagement ring or they're going to buy any type of jewelry, it's a hefty purchase for them. It might be the most expensive thing they've ever purchased in their life. And now they know maybe they'll come to you. Maybe they've got educated from what you just said. But real quickly, I want to mention that David makes other things besides engagement rings. He makes all kinds of jewelry, earrings, bracelets, chains, whatever you want, he can make. He, My girlfriend, Olivia, commissioned to create a ring for me that came out amazing. And Thank you. I'm happy you're happy. Yeah, I love it. And uh, I actually went back and did the same for her because she kept Matching stealing. Matching rings. Yeah, she kept stealing mine. So I was like, all right, I, I'll get you your oh own. Oh, my God. And sort she of gave surprised it to you and <laughs> kept taking it back. <laughs> yeah, well, she loved it. She would always put it on, and then she would, of course, give it back. She's like, oh, the, I got it for you. But she, she loves it. And <laughs> You know, I think that TikTok, when uh, it blew up a little bit, that she posted of it. I reposted it. You can see it on my reels. Olivia is uh, a genius with social media. Mav is too. You guys are wise beyond your years. That's for sure. Thanks, David. We appreciate it. But for all of you out there, know that he does other things. He specializes in engagement rings, but he's the best in other things as well. So make sure you go to him. But now... We have a few minutes left here, and I want to talk about watches, the watch industry, before we talk about your advice for those that maybe want to enter into the jewelry business. But for now, I want to talk about watches because it's just been an insane time. Any commodity nowadays is so expensive, whether that's you know the price of food or the price of a house or the price of a watch. Everything is just so damn expensive. But this watch game now, like you said, you're telling people don't buy it now. So in your opinion, what is going on in the watch world? You know, there's a lot of pent up buyers aggression. I don't know what you would call it, but it's, um, you know, we're out of the house now. You know, it's people have been in the house for a long time. There's a lot of government money that's come through. There's PPE loans. People are I don't ask where people get the money from, but I happen to think that some of these PPE loans that are coming in from the government, people might be using on personal items. I don't know. But, you know, whether it's that or it's the fact that when they opened up their business, people are going crazy and spending so much money and they have a bunch of extra money. And, you know, I also want to mention that there's people who aren't having this. There's people who are having a great difficulty during this time and my heart goes out to them. But for the people who are flush right now, uh, it seems like buying watches is something that they just want to do. And and I would say I get about 20 people a day on average that ask me a price on a watch. I broker watches. I've been dealing in watches for a long time. I've gone to the watch shows my whole life. I love watches. I don't value them any more than I value something else that I would treasure and collect. You know, they're not the end all be all for me, but I, I do love them. I think that there's a problem with supply and demand. And then there's a problem with the, not a problem, but there's a strategy with the watch companies. I think Rolex and other watch companies are basically saying, well, if we withhold product, and I don't know, maybe they can't make it fast enough. But I think if they say, if we withhold product, we'll eliminate discounting. And you guys don't know this or may not know this, but a while back, there was so much discounting. I mean, I used to get from a Rolex dealer 
in different parts of the country and in other parts of planet Earth that people had all this merchandise and we were sending wires and, and getting watches in from you, you wouldn't even believe, but they were coming from authorized dealers with five-year Rolex warranty. I brokered literally. You were getting discounts on those from retail? Oh, I mean, I was selling Rolex Sky Dwellers in rose gold for 30% off of retail and making money. I mean, I was selling president, 40 millimeter president watches. I was selling Submariners 10% off. I was selling, I was even selling Daytonas around retail. You know, what is a Daytona retail for usually? So retails, I think around 12,000 ballpark, but right now I just bought one, a black dial Daytona I bought for $28,000. So somebody actually got it for 12. You know, unfortunately they convinced the Rolex dealer they were a trustworthy collector which I don't like that. Listen, I love people who who hustle, but if you have money and you're just buying it to flip it and you're not keeping it, the poor guy who's been saving up his whole life to get that watch can't get it for retail. And I think it's annoying, but I'll still buy it. Yeah, no. And for those that don't know, the way the watch game works, and David, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've seen is if you're looking for a hot Rolex, a Submariner, Daytona, Sky Dweller, you know, an AP Royal Oak, an AP Royal Oak Offshore. If you're looking for these watches, you can't go into an Audemars store or the Rolex store in the design district. It's not there. And you can order it. Yeah, you can get on a list, you can order it, but it takes years and years and years. And sometimes you may not ever make it to the top of that list. So it could be quicker if you have clout or if you have a relationship with the authorized dealer. And so that's what I wanted to mention. Let's give the listeners, like we're always trying to help people on this show, right? Or you are. So let's give them something. So what do you do if you want a really cool watch and you don't want to pay the David price, which is, you know, I'm usually making around $500 brokering these things. And I'm selling it thousands over retail. If it's a really high-end watch, I'm making a, my margins around $1,000 on a $30,000 watch. I mean, people wouldn't believe it, but I'm competing with a global market. So let's say you said to me, like, well, how do you get it for retail? I'd go to the authorized Rolex or Paddock or Audemars or whatever dealer by you, and I try to build a relationship with them. Whether you bring them coffee, bring them a bottle of something, bring them lunch, whether you buy something from them, Talk to them, tell them your goals, tell them what you want to do and tell them, I'm willing to get the back of the watch engraved because I'm not going to resell it and I really just want to own it. And maybe they'll have some sympathy for you and some love for you uh, because I think they're getting tricked a lot. So I think that if you listen to that advice and you practice that, I think I could have actually just helped you not buy something from me and buy something from somebody for a lot less uh, and of course, if you get tired of the watch, come sell it to me and make some money. But <laughs> <laughs> but I'd keep it if I were you. So that's the watch market right now. It's, you think the bubble will pop at any time soon? All markets correct, Mav. You knew that. It's a great all question. All markets correct, but I don't think that that means that a bubble is going to pop. It could be a curve. It's not going to pop like the craziest pop ever, but it's... I started in this business when they were taking gold Rolex presidents that were 36 millimeter and they were melting them down because gold was so high. Okay. They were melting down Cartier love bracelets because gold was so high. So, and, and this was when in 2007, 2008, you have no idea how much Cartier and Tiffany jewelry got melted down. I wasn't, my dad wasn't, but there was a lot of people who were because there wasn't a lot of buyers for it, but there's a whole lot of sellers. So I think what we're going to see is things that will really uh, surprise and shock us on the market level. But I hope my main concern is for the people who don't have these things and how they're going to be affected when, if the watch market crashes, you know a lot of worse stuff is going on for other people. So I'm praying that nothing crazy happens in the economy, but uh, it's crazy. It's inevitable. It's going to go down. If you ask me, it's going to go down, but I am not, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think it's going to go down. So if someone comes to you and says, David, I have 10 grand, I've been saving up, I want to buy a watch. I know the prices are crazy high right now. I might lose money, you know, whenever that bubble does pop or slowly deflates. But what watch should you get? What watch should they get that maybe they can pass on to their children? What is that watch that you would say, this is the one? I suppose about it's about your lifestyle. I mean, for four to six grand, you can get a really cool Omega Speedmaster. For 8,000, you can get a nice, you know, Santos Cartier, the square watch that everyone loves to ice out. For, you know, eight to 10, you could get a 
probably get a stainless steel Datejust 2 with a fluted bezel, you know, all stainless 41 millimeter. For a little less than 10, you can get a nice Air King. You're not far from a Yachtmaster 1. You know, Rolex is obviously the best brand for holding value. If I was was you and you had 10 grand, I would get a Submariner Rolex. I would wait on the list for a Submariner. I'd go to either Mark Tapper and Tappers. I'd go to my very close friend, Joe Lucido, Lucido Jewelers in Birmingham. I'd get a on the waiting list there. There's other Rolex dealers, but Tappers and Lucido are my friends that I recommend, but Lucido specifically because he's right next door to me and uh, he's done me a lot of favors. Mark's a good guy too over at Tappers, but either one of those guys, I'd go there and say, listen, tell their employees, tell them, listen, I'm keeping it. I'm not selling it. Can I get on the list? And I I would imagine in, in a matter of months, you'd have it, but you might have to wait a year and you may never get it. I mean, I don't know exactly how it goes. You have to talk to them, but I would pay retail. I wouldn't pay over retail. Now, if you said to me, Dave, I don't mind paying over retail. I'll give you an example. I have a no-date Submariner, which is a great watch. That's an older style, but it's still ceramic bezel for 11000 in stock right now. So I'd get a Rolex, first of all, and I'd also get a stainless steel Rolex, not a two-tone, and I'd get the biggest face size you can get because those hold their value better, and I'd try to get it from retail, from Tappers or Lucido. And for Lucido, I'm going to say Lucido and Tappers. But I would come to me after and then say, all right, man, I can't get it. I don't have any purchase history with them. They're not getting me something. David, what can you do? And I'd get it for you and I'd wholesale it to you, but wholesaling it to you is still going to be above retail because I'm paying above retail every single day. It's crazy. The, the watch it game is, is crazy. crazy. It's crazy to see what people are spending on watches that, like you said, retail for 12 grand or 13 grand. But transitioning for the last time of the interview, if you had to give someone some advice on what they should do or what they can do to sort of get their foot in the door in the jewelry business. What would that piece of advice be? I just had a DM from a friend. I play a lot of Call of Duty and I had uh, D-Walk on Call of Duty, D-W-A-C-H, Activision. If you're on the game, let's go. So I play a lot of Call of Duty. I get to keep in touch with my friends that way. That's my favorite reason to play. And uh, I had a guy on there I, I met. He's from Detroit. His brother wanted to be a jeweler. So he, sure enough, he DM me, said, yeah, I heard you could help me. So I said, yes, I can. The first thing I want to know is, do you want to be a jeweler where you're actually on the bench creating the jewelry, physically working in the jewelry? If so, you should go to OCC or CCS or another trade school type of thing, find an apprentice program and actually develop the skills to actually be a jeweler, to make the jewelry. I started in my family shop actually making a ring. I once made a ring for a girl I had a crush on in like fifth grade, you know? So that's a jeweler. That's a bench jeweler. What I am is now I'm I'm a designer and I'm a broker and I'm a diamond expert. So that is different. You have to go to gia.edu, which is the website. You go to the GIA, you download the classes, Diamond Essentials, Diamond Education, learn about diamonds, become the expert, take the classes, take the courses, learn about that. And then once you have that, you can start applying to jobs with jewelers in the sales field. A lot of people start at those major chains. Unfortunately, I don't think you can benefit your customer that much of those chains. The markup's pretty crazy, but you could at least get some retail experience. I would recommend approaching family jewelers in your area and saying, listen, I have a million character references because a lot, I think a lot of people are afraid to hire people because you know you have all this jewelry in the safe and you don't know people. You don't know them from Adam and they come in and they want to be cozy with your family and your business and you know, you don't know them. I mean, it's scary. You know, these people do a lot for a little and, and there's a lot in the safe. So I recommend conveying your integrity through your words and your actions and your references to these people you want to work for. Now, if you don't want to work for anyone, which I always recommend working for someone at first to get experience, but if you don't want to work for anyone, there are ways to begin. And if somebody's listening to this and they say, I don't want to work for anyone, I want to start my own jewelry business, you are welcome to DM me on Instagram and I will send you a voice message and give you some direction, but you're going to need some capital. You don't need a lot of it. I've actually helped people like this. I've helped manufacture private label for their brands and they've been able to launch their brands through my private label. And eventually they found a different manufacturer and I don't work with them anymore, but I helped them get started. So if somebody needs my help, I'm happy to point them in the right direction or help if I can, but it's not easy, but, uh, It is possible. And if that's what you want to do, then I'm here to help you. Before I ask you the last question of the interview, throw out 
all your ways that people can find you or follow you and the best point of contact for you. Throw out all that info for the listeners. The best point of contact for me is definitely through text or call or Instagram DM. I get a lot of DMs and a lot of texts. Uh, so if you weren't getting a response within the amount of time that you wanted, please call me. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to even, even if you're frustrated, David, I texted you six hours ago and you haven't responded to me. Just call me. I'll say, listen, I'm sorry. I'm in the middle of something. I'll call you right back. But I, I am very chill and I like to talk to people and I like to connect. So text me, DM me, call me. But the most formal way and the way that works the best with my schedule, because it can be a little bit wild, is book now. The button on my Instagram page or on walklerdiamonds.com, you click, you know, schedule an appointment, schedule a call, schedule a call with me. It's the best way. And we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. And believe me, if I can't help you, I'll know someone who can. I love it. He, you're a great guy. So for the last question, David, this is one I ask every guest that comes on the show. What do you wish you knew when you were in your early 20s? It's uh, a great question. Every time. I love the sigh. Um, I love the sigh. I wish that I knew the importance of practicing discipline and balance in a mental health and a physical health light. And I did. I had some health problems and I went through uh, some health journeys and I learned a lot. And those things are really important to me. You know, I share a lot about health and wellness on my Instagram page. But I wish that I went out less, drank less, focused more and meditated more at that younger age because I I can see that when you really lock in and you really focus and you really respect your body as the temple that it is, and you recognize that physical health, whether it's what you eat, whether it's what you drink, what you smoke, all of those things affect everything in your life. And the universe responds to our thoughts and our feelings, and all these distractions can convolute our frequencies that we send out to the universe, which affect our life because everything is energy, right? So I wish when I was younger, I had the knowledge, it was imparted to me by my dad, my awesome dad, Gary, and um, my grandfather and my great uncle, Norman, may he rest in peace, may Jeff rest in peace too. But I wish I would have stopped and said, you know, I should really settle down and not be so wild and have so much fun all the time. And I should not take my stress and say, I'm stressed, I'm busy, I'm going to go party or I'm going to go go have all this fun and be out with my friends. Sometimes being with a bunch of people is the worst thing. Even though it distracts you, you got to face it. You have to be with yourself. You have to know yourself and you have to, that uncomfortable thing you're trying to avoid, just go right towards it and just take it by the horns and, and be you. Find out who that is. So those are the things I wish I would have done more of, but thank God I'm still alive and I'm still here to to focus more and to to settle down and to focus on what matters, which is happiness, of myself, happiness of my friends and family, happiness of strangers, happiness of the world, and the little things I can do apart from feeding me and my family, uh, my family and I, to also do something good for those around me that doesn't have anything to do with money, but has to do with their happiness and obviously health. If you can't tell from that answer the type of person that David is and how he surrounds himself with certain kinds of people that are like-minded, trying to encourage and uplift and inspire others to do exactly what they want to do. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe re-listen to his answer again because he truly is a great person. But David, before I say bye to you, I want to reiterate to all the listeners what a great human you are. You care about all your clients. You care about your friends. You communicate very well. And most importantly, you're honest and you're transparent. And that's what makes you one of the best of the best. And you're just getting started. You're just getting started doing your thing, climbing your way to the top. And As are you. And you are all that and more. And the fact that you created this show is a testament to that because you want to share. You don't want to just share what you know or what your dad taught you, what your mom taught you, what you've learned in your life, what your experiences are from the other people you've made friendships with or maybe lost friendships with. You're trying to find the people that have the knowledge to share it. And what we call that is a mitzvah because giving somebody a fish today is nice, but teaching them how to fish so they can feed themselves for the rest of their life that is what it's all about. So congratulations on all that. 
Thank you. You're the man, bro. Well, that's it for this interview. It was an absolute blast talking with you, learning all this shit, getting to interview on the pod. I'm excited for everyone to hear it. And So happy to be here. Thank you, man. Well, maybe we'll do this again soon. This was really awesome. I appreciate it. It wouldn't be right because if we're on the phone, we do this, but I'm going to just say love you, bro. It's nice to talk to you. (laughs) Love you, bro. Always. It's always a pleasure. It's all love. I'll see you soon. I'll say it one more time. David truly is a great person as a friend and in business. He's an overall a great human who's always trying to help people get to a better place in their life, whether that's in the jewelry world through education and making sure they're not getting scammed or taken advantage of. He's just a good person. And that's why I loved that he came on the show from his family's business, growing it, trying to expand his family's legacy that is so large already. And I truly respect and look up to that as someone that's younger than him. Something we didn't touch upon in the show was taxes. And of course, I got to mention it here in the outro. So if you do need help with any tax matters, make sure to call our office Levy and Associates at 1-800-TAX-LEVY. You can also visit the website levytaxhelp.com and we will always be here for all of your tax needs, your tax questions, your tax concerns. Make sure you call our office or visit the website. There's a chat feature on there. You can chat and someone from the office will eventually reach out to you via phone, but at least you can chat with them in real time. No matter what you do in life, you should always lead by example. I always talk about leading by example, be a leader. And sometimes it can be hard to be the bigger person. Sometimes it can be hard to be the leader. It might be easier to be a follower, but don't take the easy route as the old saying goes. Make sure you stay humble, stay grounded, and be a leader. Take that route that's not walked as much. Do something different than what everyone else is doing, but make sure it's a good, a positive, an uplifting thing. Be learning as well along the way. Learn a new skill, read a book, learn how to speak a new language. Do something that's gonna stimulate your brain, stimulate your mind, and make you feel good and accomplished once you've done it. Thank you all for always being the best of the best listeners. This has been another fantastic episode of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. I'll talk to everyone next week. Stay safe and thank you.